I recently had the occasion to take a visit to Martha's Vineyard. Um, You may have been there. It's a small island off the coast of Massachusetts. It was my first time ever. Now, I've grown up in New England, um, and we frequently vacationed on the Cape. Um, I think as young as probably two years old, we would go camping. Um, And now I go with my own family. Of course, we have a a fancy rental. (laughs) Um, But we just never made it over to the vineyard until this year. And so my family and I decided we would take public transportation. That way nobody had to drive and we could just kind of enjoy the journey. Um, So we got a day pass so you can get on and off the bus at your will. That day it was very hot and humid and we had to pack into the buses. We felt like sardines. Some people didn't even get a seat at times. Um, And at the end of our day touring the island, we got in line Uh, for what would be our last little uh, bus ride of the day. It would be just a short ride uh, from Edgar Town back to Oak Bluffs. And we'd catch a quick dinner and then jump on the ferry uh, back to Hyannis. But apparently we weren't the only ones um, who had that in mind, who were trying to do that. And so the the bus lines were so long, we had to actually wait for three uh, cycles of buses until we could even get onto a bus. Uh, But once we were on, it felt like people just kept loading on, and more and more people were cramming in. And um, I noticed a gentleman standing directly in front of me, um, kind of near the second set of doors towards the back of the bus. And he was um, kind of staring at his phone and holding his bus pass. And um, he started to kind of look around the bus. um, And it was pretty much completely full now. There wasn't even really room to wiggle your elbows. And then I heard an older woman who was standing directly next to him, and she said, where's Candace? And he kind of looks around, and I I guess, I'm assuming Candace might have been his daughter. And he kind of looks up to the front of the bus, Candace! And the woman beside him says, where is she? And, And they start to kind of get panicked, right? This panic ensues. And he starts staring out this window, Um, at the sidewalk, I guess, looking for his daughter, Candace, to see if, was she still in line? Did she not even make it on the bus? Um, When all of a sudden, from the front of the bus, a voice calls out, she's here. Candace is here. She's at the front of the bus. And so at that moment, the father evokes the name, Jesus Christ! And the bus went silent. Now, he could have meant several things. Maybe he was, you know, he wanted the whole bus to know that this is who I worship, Jesus Christ. He was breaking out in a prayer session. Um, He wanted the bus to know this is who I revere. Um, But perhaps, as maybe some of us can relate, he was actually using the name as an expletive, right? Like a swear word. So the bus is silent for what feels like the most awkward moment, longest awkward moment, until the woman beside him just softly says, You said a bad word. Yeah. But we've all been there, right? Haven't we all been there? Maybe you were the woman pointing out the sin. Maybe you were the one sinning. Maybe you were the one who was lost. But it's the wrong use of the name of the Lord. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Our topic today is going to go way beyond what many of us think when we hear this commandment, not to misuse the name of the Lord. Of the Lord, or as other translations say, not to use the name of the Lord in vain. 
So don't use the name of the Lord in any way that empties God's name of its meaning, that renders its use as something false, something other than what is completely true about who God is. So some of you probably learned this commandment in the King James Version of the Bible. And so the third commandment is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. And so for our purposes today, as we look at this third word in our series, we're going to break it down into a couple parts. So first, we're going to consider what actually is the name of the Lord. And second, what does it mean to misuse his name? And lastly, how is this ancient rule relevant at all over 3,000 years later? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of these commandments. Lord, I just pray that you'll open our ears and our hearts to hear from you this morning. Just remove any barriers, anything that's blocking us, keeping us from hearing from your voice and your voice alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so first, let's consider what actually is the name of the Lord. And we're not the first ones to ask this question. And in our passage of scripture today, we read about another individual by the name of Moses. He wondered the same thing. He was preparing to go at God's command to the Israelites to bring them out of Egypt and deliver them from Pharaoh's hand, out of the hand of slavery. So Moses wants to know if Israel should question him after he says, you know, the God of your father sent me to you. And then um, if they should ask, you know, what is his name? Moses wants to know, what should I say to them? And I love Moses' heart. Here he wants to have his creds ready, right? His credentials ready. It's like if you've ever um, needed to go car shopping, right? Before you even step foot on that showroom floor, you want to have a name that you can drop, right? Um, A couple names, maybe, um, so that you can kind of have a better negotiation with whoever you need to um, set prices with. Maybe you have a good friend who just got a deal, you know, uh, so you want to maybe say, oh, my friend Sally sent me, you know, wink, wink. Maybe you'll get a better deal. You want those credentials, right, going into any kind of a situation like that. And so this is Moses. Moses was already questioning his own, his own self, his own credentials. And he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And so what does Moses do? He leans into God. And God, now Moses doesn't necessarily feel like he alone is qualified to do the work. So he, so he leans into God, and, who is God, and who is completely assured of who he is. And so God chooses to reply to Moses uh, in a very unique way. He says, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. Now, it's not like when you go to work and there's maybe a new employee there and, um, you know, you want to ask them what their name is and they say, hey, my name is Bob, what's your name? You know, it's not like God just gives them this simple answer. I mean, mind blown, right? God's laying it out there for Moses, all out there. And it's like he's saying, Moses, you know, you do you, but I am I am the God who was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I am the God of the covenant. And I will continue to be God. And I'm going to do what I am going to do. And in this thing, I have told you, Moses, about delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. And and guess what, Moses? There's more, right? Not only will I be delivering them from the Egyptians, I will also be setting everybody free, whoever would call on the name of Jesus Christ, In the second exodus, if you will, when I call 
all of humanity out of slavery to sin when I deliver all of humanity through my son, Jesus Christ, who will give his life on the cross so that everyone can be set free once and for all. God says, I am, and I will be who I will be. And also in this passage, we have God using the name that we call the personal name of God. And so when God, in his reply to Moses, says for him to tell them, you know, he is the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When, if you ever look in your Bibles at that scripture, you might see a capital uh, L-O-R-D. And that's the English translation of a very unique set of Hebrew letters that's used in that passage. It's what scholars call the tetragrammaton. You know, it's early. You could try to say that three or five times fast. Tetragrammaton. You may have heard it also said this way, Yahweh, right? Yahweh. And one of the oddities of history is the loss of that proper pronunciation of the Hebrew word. Uh, You'll see it, Y-H-W-H. It's known as the personal and covenant name of God in the Old Testament. And the majority opinion would say Yahweh or something along those lines is how, it's, how it was originally pronounced. And it means he is. But the name eventually stopped being pronounced because later Jews thought it was too holy, right? And they feared that they would violate this commandment in Exodus 20, verse 7. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. And then also in Leviticus 24, 16, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. So they wanted to be really careful. They were fearful about breaking this command. But there's much more to um, misusing the name of the Lord um, than, than choosing not to write it or being careful how we write it. So don't worry too much. I don't want, it to, want us to worry too much about writing out the name of the Lord. But today we have a lot of names for God beyond just his covenant name, Yahweh. We pray often in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the name of God's one and only Son. The name Jesus means God saves. And in Hebrew, we would say the name Yeshua. Some folks I know like to pray according to the names and attributes of God. So we have names like Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Nisi, God our banner. Or El Shaddai, God Almighty. And all these names, though they're all different, they all point to the same one God who is Lord of all. And they speak to and they highlight different aspects of God's character, his identity, especially as the God who saves. I think it's funny how caught up we get in names. Um, People get caught up in names they give to their children. Um, There have been some funny names over the years, right? And if they're really funny, they'll even make uh, headlines. Um, probably some come to name. I'm not going to name some of the funnier ones. Um, But people care about names, right? Names have meaning in our society. But unfortunately, sometimes they come with baggage. Maybe there's a famous person um, who has a negative reputation, and then whoever uh, has their name kind of bears the brunt of that negative reputation, or vice versa. Maybe there's a great uh, famous person or a great sports hero, And people start wanting to name their kids after them. Um, But then, you know, when everyone's called Brady, I mean, I just, I feel bad. What can they do now, right? I know. The meaning that we give to earthly names, that shifts over time. Some names uh, become more meaningful or less meaningful based on our society, on our preferences, um, what's popular at the time. But there is one name whose meaning does not change when we're talking spiritually or eternally, 
And for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, his name and his identity are eternal. God will always be the God who saves. And for followers of this great God who saves, they are given a special name. They're called children of God. And so they too get to take on a name that's never going to fade. It's never going to lose its value. It's not going to change in its meaning. Children of God who express faith in Jesus Christ take on the name. They're called Christians. They're followers of Christ. And in this name, they take on an identity as members in the family of God. And so I think even in this way, we know that when we talk about what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain or to misuse it, that that too plays a significant role in our own identities as followers of Christ who take on Christ's name. And that leads us to our second point for today. What does it mean to misuse the name of the Lord, or as some translations will say, to take his name in vain? The word vain can mean empty, nothing, or worthless, or to no good purpose. So we're forbidden from taking the name of God or taking up the name in any way that is wicked worthless or for a wrong purpose. So we know first, in order to empty something of its meaning, first implies that that name or that word is full of meaning, right? And we know this to be the case with the name of the Lord. God's name, in fact, is the name above every other name. His name speaks to his character, and to use his name in any way that empties it of its fullest value is to devalue God. And it means that we're willfully or ignorantly denying even our sense of who God is whenever we misuse his name. When we misuse his name in a way that voids or empties it of its fullest meaning, we're virtually spitting in the face of God, or at the very least, we're choosing to turn away. And when we use his name in a way that does anything other than attribute to him the glory Do his name, we malign his name. We misuse his name and his authority. So how do we how do we misuse God's name? How do we violate this commandment? Perhaps the most obvious way is to blaspheme the name of God. We speak sacrilegiously about who God is. Uh, We're speaking sacrilegiously about the sacred, about a God who is perfect. Using the name of God as a profanity or, or as a, a punctuating point, right? Like in my example earlier, that's a way to misuse the name. Um, even as something as simple as OMG. Right? Some people will add an H to the middle of an expletive um, using Jesus to create any sort of profanity. And none of this is okay. And it's a clear example of misusing the Lord's name. We also misuse his name when we try to make it fit into our own plans, right? We try to take his name and put it on top of whatever plans we've made. Um, Maybe we even claim we've had a vision. There are such a thing as false prophets, right? False prophets might have a dream, and then they just tag the name of God onto it, and they claim that it came from God. You know, they say, God told me X, Y, Z. So they're trying to use his name to garner favor for themselves, to gain credibility for themselves. But maybe deep down inside, they're not really even sure if God actually spoke to them, right? We might not think of ourselves as prophets in the classic Old Testament sense, 
But whenever we, even if it's just very subtly or covertly lie about what we assume God told us, that's misusing his name. And it's better to say it seems like maybe God is telling me this, but I'm not totally sure, right? That might more accurately um, express our experience in most cases. But exaggerating about a vision or claiming to have heard from God when we're actually not entirely sure is an example of misusing his name. We might misuse God's name in even more subtle ways, too. Like when we call on the name of the Lord, perhaps in a time of worship or prayer. But inwardly, we're not really believing that he's going to come through for us. We're speaking the name, we're going through the motions, but inwardly, we're not sure. We don't have faith in the name we speak. And that's a form of hypocrisy. We speak the name, but we don't truly believe. And we end up praying with a sense of futility and doubt. And that eventually leads to a lack of confidence for God. And eventually we could become so full of disdain for God and his very name, which represents his identity, who God is, that we don't even give him our whole hearts anymore. That we could fall into a similar trapping like those that the prophet Malachi talked about when, when God called them out. Of, they were bringing less than their best to the altar of sacrifice of God. And instead of bringing their spotless animals, they were bringing animals that were sick and lame. And they failed to honor God with all they had. And so when we take God's name in vain, we're basically saying, Hey, Lord, you know all those promises that you made and kept to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah, you know how you always came through, how you're the God who saves. Yeah, that's what your name means. I get it. But I'm not sure in here. I'm not really sure if I'm buying it. And so we settle for a God in our minds who really isn't God at all, but it's some imaginary being that we've created. Um, it's not... It's not the God of the scriptures. It couldn't possibly be the God of the scriptures because the God of the scriptures is nothing short of perfectly holy, spotless, blameless. He's the keeper of promises. He's never failing. He's the everlasting God and creator of all. And when we pray in the name of the Lord, we ought to pray with faith, believing that God is the great I am. And he will accomplish his purposes in our lives and the lives of, the, of those we love for generations to come as we continue to surrender to him our whole hearts and our whole lives. Yet another way that we may take the Lord's name in vain is when we take an empty oath. It could be through something careless. Like we say, I swear to God, if you do that again, you'll be sorry. It's a threat but it's an oath that we've spoken in the name of the Lord nonetheless. And so um, maybe we take an oath in court, right? We put our hand on top of the Bible and we, we swear, I'm going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Maybe we take an oath right here in the church. How about in terms of the covenants of marriage? We're entering into those covenants under the headship and lordship of Jesus Christ we take our vows in the name of Jesus Christ. But to take any oath or vow in the name of God and then disregard it, treat it as empty, um, devalues God, right? devalues his name, misuses his name. It's basically like in terms of the marriage covenant. It's basically as if we said to God, yeah, remember that day I asked for your help in keeping my marriage together by praying to love my spouse in Jesus' name and not by any other name. I asked you to be Lord over that covenant. Well, 
I guess it didn't really mean much to me because it's just not working out anymore. I might have spoken your name, but I, I didn't really believe that you could actually help me with, with my oath. And when we do that, we're basically showing our lack of trust, our lack of faith in God to live up to his end of that covenant. And it's only by God's grace that we can ever be set free from any sin that encumbers us, set free from sin and death through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That's not by any human work or human effort. And so we ought to always use the name of the Lord with care, reverence, and awe. We don't use his name lightly. We don't take any oath lightly. Because we know who it is that we speak of, and we know that he is the one who is, and he will be who he will be. And so our last point for today, how is this ancient rule relevant at all over 3,000 years later? These might be ancient texts, ancient words, but they are as true for us today as they were then. God is still the same God who wrote this third word thousands of years ago. And we know that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so we don't trash these ancient words just because they're old, right? How many people like to throw away things just because they're old? But Jesus, by his grace, actually calls us to live into these truths all the more. And these truths and this law shows us a better way. But at the same time, they also help to point out our sin, our inability to follow this law perfectly, right? Only one could follow the law perfectly. That was Jesus Christ. So as those in the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, we have the privilege as people living in 2021 of looking back and seeing the Messiah as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who we can read all about in our New Testaments. And in fact, it's here that we learn that God gave Jesus the name above every other name. Jesus humbled himself. He didn't force this name upon himself, but the Father bestowed it upon Jesus. And in Philippians 2, we read, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And through Jesus Christ, God continued his work of redemption and saving grace, setting people free. And through Jesus, God revealed that he is still the God who saves. God glorified his son by giving him the name above every other name. And if the God of the universe saw his son as worthy of glory, how about us? Can we revere the name of Jesus too? Can we give him honor and glory? Hopefully we're starting to see that it's not just about what we say. It's not just about, you know, not using the name Jesus as a cuss word. It's so much more. We had a great list of all the ways that we wind up breaking this command beyond just our words. But it's not just our words. It's really about how we speak about God with the way that we live our lives. Do we live our lives in a way that takes the name of the Lord in vain? Do our lives point to an empty faith in the identity? 
identity of who God is, or do they point to God as the one who saves, who can save us from whatever it is that we're struggling with, who can liberate us from whatever slave master we find ourselves chained to today? Do we live up to our oaths? That takes daily obedience. Do we engage fully in our worship, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice as our spiritual act of worship? Or are we choosing to give him less than he deserves, less than our whole hearts? Now, as Christians, we enjoy great freedom. We have fundamental rights to worship And we can do that in creative ways, right? Out-of-the-box ways. We've been worshiping online, and that's been great, and that's been a blessing. But I know for some of us, that's been a bit of a roadblock. We haven't felt like we've been able to enter into worship and engage fully in worship as maybe we had before. Uh, For some of us, maybe we actually learned to enter in more deeply, right? We had a little more one-on-one time with the Lord Maybe we developed creative ways of worshiping at home. Um, I know um, setting the communion table at home was a beautiful time of worship for myself and my family. But now as we can start to enjoy again the privilege of gathering together to lift up the name of the Lord, together in one space like we are here this morning, with one voice we can magnify the name of the Lord together. What a blessing. And we know that God never changes, right? Our perception of God might change. And unfortunately, one of the consequences of being separated from our time together in church could be that some of us are feeling like God is more distant than before. And we might start to see God as less than he is. And we may have grown lukewarm in our worship. Maybe we've started to just see God as a nice guy, a buddy, a pal, but we've lost sight of the reverence that we need to give to his name. We ought to revere his name above every other name and over anybody else who has influence in our lives. And so when we use the name of the Lord, we ought to use it in a way that accurately reflects his character, his authority, his majesty, and his glory. So in order to obey this word fully, it's not just about what we don't do, but what we need to do. And if we are to enter into a way of life that boldly declares God's name, not just with our mouths, but with our hearts and our whole lives, then we must understand the holiness of God. We must revere his very name. Now, some people are, they take this to the extreme. They're so afraid of messing up this commandment that they don't even use the name of the Lord, but I believe God has revealed himself to be a God of great grace, and surely he will help us as we seek ways to worship him and revere his name more fully. And we learn how to revere God's name as we pray together. Even um, earlier in our service, we prayed the Lord's Prayer, and we prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And as we learn to revere God's name, we will learn more of his character. And as such, perhaps we will allow him a more appropriate place in our lives, filling up our whole hearts. So God doesn't want us to take his name in vain. It's not because he's a mean God that likes to give us hard rules to follow, but because he knows how badly we need him. 
how badly we need to have this holistic understanding of who God is and a full revelation of God as the one who saves. And as Moses questioned his own identity and his own call, we too might have moments when we wonder who we are. How do I fit into God's kingdom, into God's plan, right? And like Moses did, we can turn to God and we can receive this revelation of who God is. God gave it to Moses and God gives it to every one of us. He says, I am that I am. And God knows that unless we have a right view of him, we'll be lost in our sin, given over to our depravity. We must learn to lean into God. We must learn to embrace God's name and identity for all that he is, with all that we are, to the glory of God's name. God is the God who saves, and he will be who he will be. And in Christ, we see the fullest expression of God as the one who saves. And we know Jesus is coming again, and God's going to bring to fruition his great plan of redemption. And we will see the new heavens and the new earth one day. And so let's not forget God, the great I am. Let's not empty his name of its meaning so that we forget that God is the God who saves. I am is our deliverer. I am is the one who has come to set us free. And I am is the one who has written the word redemption across the timeline of history. And I am is the one who came to set us free from sin and death, that we will no longer be slaves, and that we might experience new life through him and live that life to the fullest.